0: Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter twenty. I love that song that Ashley just sang it because in the middle of it is a is a kid song that uh, my kids learned, and actually they taught it to me. My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. And they used to do the do the the motions with it and everything. And you know, great song. Thank you. Matthew chapter twenty. We'll be there in a minute, uh, but. Imagine if you would that you were in a college class, and well, it doesn't have to be college, it'd just be in class. How's that sound? Because we have some young people here that would never be in college yet. Uh, but anyway, just, say you were taking a class, and there were ten people in the class. And five, five of the the, the ten worked very, very diligently, and you were. In in that five, you went home every night and you studied and you worked and and you crammed and you memorized, you did everything you could. And then the other five were like me. (laughs) (laughs) me? (laughs) They went home and played and did, you know, played basketball and all the other things. And then when it came time to take the test, all ten took the test. And the five who worked really diligently, and you were in that five, and me and my buddies were in the were in the other five, but your group all got straight A's. And my group did like we always did and failed. But the professor, the teacher, decided, you know what? It's not fair to the other guys who didn't study. So I'm just going to give everybody a C. That's called grading on a curve, by the way. Okay? And 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 is honestly is grading on a curve fair? No, it's not. Why? Because the people like you who worked really really hard and studied get penalized but the people like me who play basketball and football or whatever and did what I wanted to do, we get the benefit of your hard work, right? It's not fair. That's what we would say. It's not fair. It's not just. And <clears throat> the illustration I just shared with you is a simple illustration, but it, it has profound effect, does it not? Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 20 that I often, especially when I was first saved, and um, honestly, um, for many years I struggled with this parable because I felt like it was unfair. It is the, uh, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and Jesus does something here that, on the surface, seems unfair. But we're going to break down this parable today, and and hopefully it will uh, it will show you that if anything, uh, the 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 landowner uh, of the vineyard is actually a very kind and gracious person. Matthew chapter twenty. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man, that uh, that is, an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into the vineyard and went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace And said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and said unto them, Why stand ye here all all the day idle? And he said unto them, Because no man hath hired us, he said unto them, and Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when the even uh, was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning with the last unto the first. And when they came, the, the, and when they that came that were hired about the eleventh hour, he they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received the, it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These. Uh, last shall uh, have wrought uh, but one hour and thou hast made them equal unto us which have borne the burden of the heat of the day and he said and he answered uh, one of them and said friend i do thee no wrong didst not thou agree with me for a penny take that time uh take that uh take that Thine is, and go thy way, and I will give unto uh, th- this last, even as unto thee. It is, it, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called but few chosen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, this time together. But Lord, thank you also for this parable and the incredible truths that are buried in this parable. And I trust that as we look at them this morning, that you would uh, encourage our hearts, that you would uh, help us to see uh, just how loving and gracious you truly are. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen the The parable that we read, again, on the surface, seems unfair that uh, workers that only had to work an hour or so got paid what these workers that had worked all day uh, had received. So on the on the on the on the surface, it sounds like the teacher who grades on a curve. It seems unfair to the people who put in all the labor. But just bear with me and and let's unfold this uh, and and see what God has for us this morning. So point number one this morning is, why did Jesus tell the parable? In order to answer that question, you have to back up into chapter 19 and verse 27. Uh, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee, What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye uh, which have followed me in the uh, regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses and brethren or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or lands for my sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first so the 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 reason why well i don't i don't want to get ahead of myself here in verse 28, as a response to Peter's question, Jesus jumps into the future, if you would. Uh, I believe Jesus is talking about what is called the millennial reign. Uh, after, the, after the rapture, uh, there will be a, a, a millennial reign where Christ will, will reign and the 12 disciples will reign with him. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I believe that this is what it's talking about. And he explains that some will have honor, and blessing, and some will not. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And uh, so Jesus gives us a glimpse into the future that I don't believe Peter at this time had a clue what he was talking about. But the parable in in chapter 20 is not about the millennial reign. It has everything to do with Peter's heart. Look at verse 27 again. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Peter looks at Jesus and he says this. He says, says, hey, we have forsaken all and what are we going to get out of it? More specifically, what is Peter really saying? What am I going to get out of this? See, Peter, Peter is only concerned about Peter, and and <clears throat> you you know uh, Peter Peter is a, a character in Scripture that speaks his mind. If if he has a problem, you're going to know it. And I like that. Peter is just kind of a bottom line kind of guy. You know, um, I, I, I just like to know, what's the bottom line? You know, don't tell me the story that to get to the, just tell me what the bottom line is. If I owe you $200, tell me. You owe me $200. Don't, don't spend a week explaining why I owe you $200. Do I owe anybody money? Okay, I, ho- I hope not. <clears throat> but no, just you know, and, and that's how Peter was. Peter was. Just, that's just how he was. And Peter comes to Jesus, and he and he reveals his heart because what is he saying? He's saying, "Look, the <clears throat> this, the 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 question in, in, that he asked Jesus in chapter in, in uh, chapter nineteen, verse twenty-seven, comes on the heel of the story of the uh, rich young ruler." So in essence, what Jesus is saying here is, look, hey, this rich young ruler was not willing to forsake all to follow you, but I have forsaken all, so I want to know, what am I going to get out of it? Now, is that a legitimate question? Hello? I think so. I mean, I I don't know that I would be asking the Lord that question, but I would at least be thinking it. At least Peter had the guts to say it. Everybody else would be thinking it. So this whole parable in chapter 20 has everything to do about Peter's heart or what was motivating Peter to do what he was doing. So why did why did Jesus ask the, the, the parable for two reasons? One, I think he wanted to put Peter in his place, which God has a way of doing that. But then the other thing was to get Peter to look at his motivation. What 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 is motivating you, Peter, to do what you do? Because really, is that not the question in all of our lives? Why do we do what we do? Let, let, let me put it to you another way. Why are you even here this morning? Well, there may be some young people who say, My mom dragged me here. <laughs> my ear is about a foot longer this morning because she had me. No, no, why are you here? My my hope and, and I believe God's God's desire is that we are here to grow and to be more like him. But why are you here? Why why do you do what you do? is a huge question that each of us needs to ask ask ourselves. And I believe that this is at the core of the parable that we read in chapter 20. Peter Had a hard time being last. Peter wanted to be first in everything. Peter, Peter is a, a, a type A personality. He, he's gonna be out there doing doing what he's what he does. But you know what? Let, let me say this in Peter's defense. I am so glad that Peter, from this, from this point later, Peter has a transform, transformation that takes place in his life. And there becomes a point, and we don't have time this morning to cover it all, but there becomes a point in Peter's life where Peter realizes that he is not the most important person in the world. And God, when that transformation takes place, God is able to use Peter in an incredible way. Peter, Peter not only becomes the person who preaches at Pentecost and th- sees 3,000 people saved that morning. But God uses him as a pillar of the New Testament church and, and and Peter finally realizes it's not about him, but it's about Jesus Christ. His motivations get get changed. But let's read verse 30 again. In chapter 19, it says, But when, uh, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. I wonder, I, I, you know, when every time Jesus, Jesus makes this comment, by the way, many times in scripture. But I I wonder how many times, and I wonder if when Jesus is doing this, he's thinking of Judas in the back of his mind. Because Judas was. The one who handled the money for the disciples. He was he was out of the twelve disciples, uh, the twelve apostles uh, 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 Peter was considered to be one of the higher level apostles. He was looked upon uh, with great admiration by a lot of people. and I want I wonder if Jesus was kind of had this in the back of my back of his mind as, as he spoke these truths. I personally believe that there will be many surprises when we stand before Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10, it says, For we sh- uh, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive uh, the things uh, done in their body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. I believe there will be, uh, when we are standing before the, 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 before the Lord that day, God is, uh, the Lord is going to be placing crowns on, on people's heads and we're going to go, who's that? We, we have no clue who this person is. But that's kind of the whole point. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. And it's those people that have been quietly behind the scenes living for God, diligently serving God. That God will honor that day. And we're all going to look at Him and say, wow, look at that. I don't think Peter's going to be one of those. But anyway, Peter will receive a reward, but not for his quietness. This parable is not about salvation either because you cannot earn your way to heaven. And that's what the the context here is, earning, you know, working and trying to earn a wage. So it's not about salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It is a gift of God. Amen. It's not about the millennial. It's not about salvation, and it's not about rewards in heaven. Even uh, there's some people that think it is, but in First Corinthians uh, chapter three, uh, verses six through eight, uh, I have planted, and Paul, uh, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, uh, so then, neither is he that planteth anything neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So here we see uh, in 1 Corinthians 3.8 that we are uh, rewarded according to our labor, but in the parable, everybody receives the same thing. So the parable is not about rewards in heaven. Again, what is the parable about? It's about Peter's heart. So it changes the whole context of the parable when we understand why Jesus is telling this parable to begin with. So point number two. Let's look at the workers for a minute. Who are the workers? Uh, these are these are interesting people. Uh, we see them uh, in verse uh, in chapter. 20 in verse 1 it says for the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man uh, that is a householder which went out early in the morning to hire workers in a vineyard and when he had agreed with the workers for a penny a day he sent them into his vineyard now there's not too many people today that would work an entire day for a penny (laughs) you know so when we read this we're thinking boy this guy was a cheapskate (laughs) <laughs> but, but you have to understand here the, 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 the context of, of the, the time. Uh, a penny is not equivalent to one of our pennies, by the way, but it was for that time and day a fair wage for a day's work. Okay? Uh, because workers did not work for a week or a month or whatever they work day by day especially uh, uh vineyard workers <clears throat> so they a penny a day was a fair wage okay so put that thought away because uh the guy was not a cheapskate but there's an interesting exchange that takes place here and this is really i think the key to the entire parable Let's look at verse 2. And it says, And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day. So who did the negotiating? The laborers did. Not the landowner. So what, ha- what happened? Okay, what the, again, the society was such that if, if you needed a job picking picking grapes or whatever during harvest time, you would go to the town center and then people who needed workers would go there and hire workers. So what had happened was this this landowner went there to get some workers and this group of workers probably had predetermined that whoever hired them, they were going to work for a penny a day and not a penny. Not a. Not a penny. Less. That makes no sense. But but you you you, <laughs> you know what I mean, okay? You know. Uh, so you know they had probably. So when it when the landowner came up and said, "Hey, do you guys want a job?" and they said, more than likely what happened was something like this. Yes, we need a job, but we're not willing to work for less than a penny a day. Okay. If that's what you want, are you sure that's what you want? Yes, we're insistent. That's what we want. Okay, I'll pay you a penny a day. More than likely, that's kind of what happened. So we can conclude that there was a contractual agreement negotiated, if you would, between the workers and the landowner. More than likely, it was a verbal agreement, but it was still something that they negotiated. The landowner agreed to it, and so did the workers. This is important. Don't don't forget this. So, the workers negotiated the daily wage with the landowner. So then you have verses 3 and 4, uh, well, th- actually three through seven, where he goes back to the, he still needs more grapes picked. Okay, when grapes, I don't, I'm not a, obviously not a vineyard owner, but I know enough that when grapes are ripe, they need to be picked like now. So he needs more workers. So what does he do? He goes back to the, to the place where everybody congregates several times during the day. Uh, the It says the, the, the third hour, which is 9 a.m. Uh, the, the sixth hour, 12 noon, uh, 3 p.m., and then the last one at 5 p.m. And they and they quit working at 6 o'clock. But he keeps going back and saying, hey, I need more workers. Go, go, and pick as much as you can, as fast as you can. But what is the difference between the group of workers that went first and the group of workers that went afterward? Let's read it. <clears throat> Verse uh verse three and he went out about the uh, about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and he said unto them, "Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. They were not they were not bent on negotiating a contract, so to speak. They were willing to trust that the landowner would be fair. So, how many types of workers were there? There were two types of workers. Ones that had a contract and ones that did not have a contract. I want, to, I want you to keep this in mind as we go continue through this parable because this is an important important understanding here. you had a, you have the group that have a contract for a penny a day and then you have those that do not have a contract who are left to the goodness of the landowner. And by the way, who's the landowner? who's the who's the, 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 the picture here? Jesus or, or God, okay? So you have these two type of uh, uh, workers, those that have contracts and those that do not. So let's talk about the landowner for a minute. There are three characteristics about the landowner that I want to talk about this morning that is absolutely critical to understanding this parable. The first characteristic, again, is the characteristic of God, if you would, or the landowner, is that he is a person of grace. Person of grace. Look at verse eight. So when even had come, the land the the, the Lord of the vineyard said unto a steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning with the last unto the first. And when he had uh, came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. So it shows the graciousness of the landowner. The fact that these people maybe worked an hour, two at the most, they received an entire day's wages. And then those that came in the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and all of that, they all received a day's wages. And we look at this on the surface and we say, but that's not fair. Those that worked all day should have gotten more. And that's what Peter is saying to Jesus. He's saying, hey, what am I going to get out of me sacrificing everything that I'm sacrificing? What am I going to get out of it? Peter forgot about the grace of God. And this is a wonderful picture of the grace of God in our lives. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Some people grow up in church, and they get saved at a young age. And they have the opportunity to serve the Lord their entire lives. But then there are people like me who get saved in the sixth hour of their lives. And then there are people and and my family is a is a wonderful illustration of this truth because my parents that who are both in heaven today did not get saved until they were in their 80s. But the promise of heaven is just as real and true for my parents as it is for me, as it is for my children who got saved at a young age. It is a wonderful picture of the grace of God. So no matter no matter what our scenario, if you would, the grace of God is 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 is, is real to you today as it as it was for me forty years ago when I got saved in the Navy. Or probably 55 years ago when my, when my wife got saved as a young girl. The grace of God has not changed at all. It is the same for everyone. And it is a, this parable is a beautiful picture of the grace of God. And instead of looking at it like, we do humanly here, like the, the the first group says, they complain, "Hey, we've worked all day; we should get more." Instead of looking at it like that, we should we should look at the grace of God and say, "Praise God that somebody in their 80s could get saved, and God will treat them the same as if somebody got saved in their, when they were six years old." That is grace. Beautiful picture of grace. God's grace is defined this way. I found I found two definitions. I like them both, so I'm gonna give both to you. <clears throat> this is I, I like this. God's grace, God's favor toward the unworthy. Is that not what salvation is all about? The other definition I like is God's compassion on the undeserving. And I'll tell you what, if there's ever been anybody who is undeserving, it's me. But God's grace is prevalent in my life, and I thank God for that. God's grace. The second characteristic that we see here is the landowner's justice. Justice. In verses 10 um, through 14, let, let's start reading. In verse 10, it says, "And when the first uh, came, they supposed that they should uh, have received more, and they likewise uh, received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they uh, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying," Uh, th- these last have wrought but one hour, and we have made them equal unto us that have uh, borne the burden of the the heat of the day. And he looks at him and he says, "What ha- have I have I done something wrong here? Did not we negotiate a contract?" I I came to you and said, hey, would you like to come to work? And you were the ones that stood your ground and said, yes, we will, but you have to pay us a penny a day. And the principle here is, is, is as clear as the nose on my face. That had they not negotiated a contract, what would have happened? They would have gotten a lot more. But because they... Stood their ground and they negotiated a contract. He was just in his in his in his settlement. And I believe that 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 God is telling this parable primarily to Peter and saying, Hey, what do you want a contract? Are you really? Do you really want to do this? Why don't you just trust? I'm going to take care of you and bless you. Justice is one of God's greatest characteristics. God has a lot of characteristics, but justice is is one of the ones that uh, is is His greatest characteristics. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, it says this, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment and God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is He. God's rule over the universe is grounded in His justice and, and His and His goodness, His righteousness. Psalm chapter uh, eighty-nine, verse fourteen: Justice and judgment are the habitation of Thy throne; mercy and truth shall go before Your, before Thy face. Because of his unchanging nature, justice is a huge part of who God is. God never changes. And the landowner did not change. The workers insisted on a penny for their day's wages and he said, okay, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. He was just. So we see the landowner's grace. We see his, just, his justice. <clears throat> the third characteristic is his sovereignty. His sovereignty. Look at verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is that not sovereignty? He looks at the workers and he says, hey, this is my land. I can do with it what I want. If I want to pay those people that worked an hour a day's wages, that's, that's, my, that's my problem, not yours. The sovereignty of God. And God rules this universe and He can do with it as He wishes. If He wants to bless you, He can bless you. God's sovereignty is a natural consequence of three things in his life. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. That's a scary thought. He's omnipotent. That's another fancy word for the fact that he's all-powerful. He can do what he wants. But he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Try and teach that to a four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Try and teach it to an adult. But it's those characteristics of God that, 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 that prove his sovereignty. This is his universe. And he can do with it as he wishes. His blessings are, are great and mighty. Psalm chapter 147 and verse 5. Great is the Lord and and of great power. His understanding is infinite. So let's let's point number four. Let's I I I, I entitled this the takeaway. So what what can we take away from this parable? There's there's there are three things that I that I that I took away from this parable as I dug into it, and I, I I found three things that specifically dealing with the heart of Peter, but actually dealing with my heart. Okay, I believe that this parable was directed specifically to Peter. I could be wrong, but God has used it in my life as well, and I and I trust He will in yours. So there are three things I took away that God spoke to my heart about. <clears throat> Number one, be careful of pride. Be careful of pride. What did Peter say? Peter said, hey, God, look look at what all I'm sacrificing. Well, he, he technically says we, but he means me. But he's saying, but hey, look at all that I'm I'm sacrificing. What am I going to get out of it? If that doesn't smack with pride, I don't know what does. And there are times in our lives where we have the opportunity to say the same thing to God. God, what? Look, look at what I have sacrificed for you. And what am I going to get out of it? Again, think about Peter's life. God ended up using Peter to do great things. But God had to take Peter through some things to get him where he wanted him. But because of his personality type, Peter ended up be, becoming a, just an incredible lighthouse for the gospel. Beware of pride. The second thing that, that I took away from, from this parable, and I think in my life, this is probably the most important. Be careful of watching the workers What 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 were the what were the the earlier workers doing They were they were paying attention to the other workers that came later and how much money they received What do we do We do the exact same thing well look at the Joneses down the street. Look at this over here. And and, and you know, and, and you think, but but you're a pastor, you're exempt from jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me help you out. Okay, you know what you know what pastors do? Yeah, you know, we, we spiritualize our jealousy, our our, our covetousness. All right? This, this, is, this is what a pastor does. Man. Look at his church. And I did this the other day. I bet he has no problems in his church. <laughs> well, number one, if there's people in the church, guess what? Okay, there's problems. I'm just saying. But, but you know, no, but seriously, I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, in a, in a oh, no offense, but if I, if I could pick a church I would want to pastor, it would be that church. Not that I don't enjoy it, you, 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 but, but, I, but, you know, we spiritualize it, you know, and we, we, we but it's, it's the same thing. It's crazy. But what do we do? We get our eyes off of God and we get it on men. And when we do that, we're in big trouble. Because that is exactly what Peter had done. He had gotten his eyes off of the Lord. He had was looking at the rich young ruler, and he's going, look at me. I have sacrificed so much for you, God. What am I going to get out of it? God says, no, it's not about that. But when we have our eyes on the Lord, it doesn't matter what other pastors are doing what other churches are doing. You know, I, I I even got the crazy idea one time, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to pastor a church of 10,000. That way I could have all the staff, and then they can have all the headaches. I just sit back and preach and do my thing. Yeah, right. That's insane. I love my church, by the way. Just say, okay, just, just say. My point is this, we struggle just like everybody else. And one of the verses uh, verses that God brings brings me back to reality every once in a while is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, in verse 7. It says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on his heights, or the size of his church, because I have refused him. By the way, it doesn't say that. The size of his church thing is not in there. He says, For I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as men seeth. For the Lord looketh, (coughs) excuse me, for men looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And that's what this parable is all about. It's Peter's heart. This parable reveals the hearts of the workers. We read it earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. For I have planted, and Apollos watered, but God gave you increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I need to be reminded periodically that I'm nothing. And I mean that. I'm nothing. It's God that gives the increase. It's all about Him. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Third takeaway, and we're done. Be careful not to criticize God. Because is that not what Peter was doing? It's not fair. I've sacrificed everything, but what am I going to get out of it? I'm, I'm sleeping on the ground. I have nothing, but I have sacrificed everything. Don't you feel sorry for me? That was Peter's feeling. Had the first workers, think about this. Had the first workers not negotiated a contract their compensation would have been I'm sure a lot more than it was but what happened because they got their eyes on men they got jealous and they got angry at the landowner when the landowner did nothing wrong and in reality what the landowner did ended up causing them to reveal their true hearts. And when we get our eyes off of God and we allow ourselves to focus on men, we begin to criticize and we become selfish. Everything becomes about us. Be careful. As I have studied this parable, I have come under great conviction. God is so good to us, His grace is so, so abundant. His justice and His sovereignty are insurmountable. All we need to do is keep our eyes on Him and get it off of people. Because I don't know if you know this or not. <clears throat> the people are going to let you down. Oh, yeah. Surprise, right? Yeah. Boom. In fact, if you hang around me long enough, I'm going to let you down. Just saying. Why? I'm human. I do stupid things. I do. I'm like Peter. I do a lot of stupid things. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, you are so good to us, so kind and so gracious. And Lord, I ask as we bring our service to an end that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us, dear God, to to understand how much you love us. Understand your grace and your sovereignty and your justice. And Lord, that our need is is not about what we're going to get, but how we can give. Because you are a gracious, loving God. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. With every head,